the letter of Paul to Philemon. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you, and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you? both in the flesh and in the Lord. For if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yet, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. We all know the awkwardness of needing to ask a friend for a favor. And we do something of a mental calculus when we have to ask a friend for a favor. We have a couple of factors that we take into account. How good, how close a friend is he or she, and how big a request is this that I'm going to ask? And when we do this calculus, if it's not a very close friend and it's a very big ask, then we may decide, well, we're not going to do it or we'll do it very nervously. If it's a very good friend and it's a small request, then it won't be a big deal. We'll go ahead and ask the favor. But even if it's a very good friend and it's a very big favor, we might need to figure out how we're going to go about asking it. And we may rehearse in our own minds about how we're going to approach this because we don't want the friendship to be affected negatively if the person can or can't do the favor. What we have here in this letter is a friend asking a friend for a favor. But you see something of the 
the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness even in the language of Paul, and he doesn't even get to asking the favor till verse 17. He kind of goes around it and makes some suggestions, and then finally he asks the favor, and he leaves it kind of vague uh, about exactly what he's asking. And so we're going to march through this, this curious little letter, beautiful little letter of Paul, that he writes to his friend Philemon. Now, Paul included Timothy, if you look at verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. He includes Timothy, but we soon learn that this is really from Paul. He also greets Apphia. We don't know who Apphia was. She was a woman, perhaps Philemon's wife. He greets Archippus. We met Archippus uh, last week at the end of Colossians. We don't really know who Archippus was. Some suggest that maybe he was their son. Or maybe he was the third minister of the gospel left in Colossae after Epaphras, their pastor, had left. Maybe there were three pastors, Philemon, Epaphras, and Archippus. And Epaphras was gone because he was visiting Paul. And he was the one who was returning with this letter. We don't really know. But this is really directed to Philemon. And Paul identifies himself here in a unique way. He calls himself prisoner for Christ Jesus. Usually, when he writes a letter, he identifies himself as what? Apostle. Apostle. And sometimes he just identifies himself with the churches in Macedonia, uh, with Philippi and Thessalonica. He identifies himself simply as servant. But here, uniquely, he identifies himself as prisoner for Christ Jesus. And he was probably in Rome. That's uh, what most scholars think. He was in his imprisonment at Rome. And during that imprisonment, he produced the letter to the Ephesians, the letter to the Philippians, the letter to the Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. And Philemon and Colossians were delivered together to the same city of Colossae. Now, this letter was for his friend and co-worker, Philemon. He calls him to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. So we assume that he is from Colossae, and he was the one who had a church in his house. So he says, our fellow worker, uh, Philemon, and then he says, and the church that is in your house. We met a lady last week that had a church in her house in, uh, in a neighboring city, and now we find out that the church or perhaps one of the churches in Colossae was meeting in Philemon's house, which would make him, make him a well-to-do person who had a house that was big enough to host the church. And that's the impression we get of Philemon, that he was a high-status individual. And so a prisoner is writing a high-status individual with a request. But Paul was not embarrassed about being a prisoner. He didn't say a prisoner of Caesar, did he? He said, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And that was a badge of honor for Paul. That was not a shame. In the final greetings, in the final greetings, we're going to take the initial greetings and the final greetings together. If you look at the final greetings in verses 23 to 25, he mentions Epaphras. And he was the pastor of, um, of the area in Colossae. He sends greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. These are the same ones that were mentioned at the end of Colossae. I refer you to that sermon to, to find out who all these were. And it's the same list that we have, except for one is missing. Jesus, justice is missing. And as in all Paul's letters, he begins with, or virtually all Paul's letters, he begins with grace and peace in verse 3, and he ends with grace. Grace and peace, and then ending with grace. 
And then he gets into the thanksgiving section in verses 4 to 7. And here we find something about the relationship that Paul and Philemon enjoyed. This is typical of Paul's letters, a thanksgiving section. And here we see the confidence that Paul had in the character of his friend Philemon. He says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And he says, I've heard about you. I've heard about your love and your faith, your love and your faith. And this is how Paul summarizes the Christian life sometimes, isn't it? Faith working out itself in love. It's a little curious here that he reverses those. I've heard of your love and faith rather than your faith and love. And it's also a little curious that he says that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Because you would think, well, the faith is directed to the Lord Jesus and the love could be directed to both, to the Lord Jesus and to all the saints, all the believers. Now, the goal of Paul's prayer and his thanksgiving and then which ends in prayer in verse 6 is, uh, is that the, the koinonia, that the communion of your faith may be, become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. All the words here are completely understandable, but there are many different ways to translate this. The communion of your faith. The, and here it talks about the sharing of your faith as if it's evangelistic. Or it could be the communion of your faith with the Lord or the communion of your faith with others. And so there are various ways to translate this, but the, whole, the idea is that, that whatever this communion is, whatever this, this, uh, this fellowship is, that it would be effective for the full knowledge of all the good things that we have in Jesus Christ. And then he says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, verse 7, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So he got a report. He's in prison. Paul's in prison. He got a report about Philemon. Philemon is, is, is tearing it up in faith and love. And he is serving the saints. He is, he is uh, refreshing the hearts of the saints. And he says, I, when I got that news, I have much joy and much comfort because of that love that I hear about how you're doing well in my absence there. So then he starts getting towards the favor and the favor takes a while to develop. It's in verses 8 to 22. But he begins by hinting at it and knowing Philemon, he says, I know you and I have a lot of confidence in you and I could be bold enough. After all, I am an apostle, and we'll find out later on that he was his apostle, his evangelist. But he says, I could be bold enough in Christ. I have the authority in Christ to command you to do what is required. But I'm not going to do that. He says, I prefer, I prefer to appeal to you for love's sake. And so here's the kind of the awkwardness in getting ready for the, the request. And then he says, I, Paul... An old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. The second time he mentions that he's a prisoner. And he mentions here that he's an old man. Uh, this could be translated ambassador, but I think this translation, the word could mean either one. But I think in this context, old man fits. And it's not a, it's, he's not asking for pity here. I think he's saying that I'm a mature person here. I'm approaching you as a mature man. And this, this, uh, there were different categories of, of the different ages of, uh, of a, a person. And the word he uses here could be in the 50 to 56 category. 
that was considered an old man. And then there was one more category after that that was a, a very old person. Okay, So this is interesting because it could be placing Paul here in his, his 50s. But he appeals. Here he says, this is the appeal in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, in English, the, the, the order of the words is reversed to make it more smooth, but I just read it how it is in the original. I appeal to you for my child whose father I became in my imprisonment. Drum roll, please. Onesimus. So he saves the name till the end of the verse. So he kind of builds this up. I want to appeal to you for, for my child. And what does he mean by my child whom I begat in my chains? This person, not yet named until the end of the verse, this person became a Christian through Paul in prison. And um, by the way, we don't know how, how in the world Onesimus met Paul in prison. We don't have that information, but that doesn't stop people from speculating. And you will find all sorts of speculation. You will find people asserting that he was a runaway, that Onesimus was. Others will say, no, he was on an errand uh, from his boss in Rome. Others will say that he went to Rome to, to look for Paul. We don't know, but somehow in God's providence, they, they met. And Paul shared the gospel with him, probably not for the first time, uh, because we'll see that he had a relationship with Philemon, uh, that he heard the gospel and he believed it. And Paul says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. And then Paul makes a little joke in verse 11. It's a pun. The name Onesimus means useful, useful. And he says in 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. So he makes a little pun on his name. He says, I'm sending him back to you Sending my very heart. So Paul said, I'm an old man. I'm sending you my child. I'm sending you my heart. And so there is some emotional appeal here. Then he mentions, kind of an offhand way, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. And, and this is, prisoners needed this. They didn't get the three square meals on their own. They didn't get all the attention that they needed. They needed relatives and friends to help them out. And this one named Useful had become very useful to his spiritual father, Paul. And Paul said, I would have loved to have kept him with me because he's very useful. And that would have been, I would have counted that as your service to me, Philemon. But he says, but I preferred not to do that. I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. You see, the first time he said, I could command you, but I'm not going to. I'm going to appeal to you. And I could have just made a decision on your behalf, but then, then you would have been compelled. And, and I'm giving you the opportunity to do something of your own free will. We understand that, don't we? Even if, even if we want to do something, if somebody makes us do it, then we, we sometimes resent having to do it, even if we want to do it. We'd rather say, no, I want to do this as a gift. I want to do this of my own free will. And Paul is, is giving that opportunity to Philemon. And then Paul makes a suggestion in verse 15. And this is an interesting, interesting verse. This is Paul. This is the apostle. This is that one who was taken up into the third heaven. This is the one through whom God spoke. Here he says something. He says, for this perhaps, perhaps, 
is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, permanently. So Paul, what's he doing here? He is commenting on a possible interpretation of God's providence, a possible interpretation. Now, I mentioned that, and this is sort of an aside, but um, Paul gives us a very good example here of how we should treat God's providence, God's ordering of events in our lives and in history. We don't have the script to know exactly why things happen, but we trust God that they happen for our good and for his glory. Paul here very tentatively suggests a possible reason for this happening, and when we interpret God's providence, we need to have that same, that same caution. Uh, people have asked me over this last year, what is God doing with this global pandemic? And do you know what my answer is? I don't know. I don't have access to that information. But whatever it is, we need to take advantage of it as Christians. We need to learn whatever lessons God has for us during this time. Whatever this might be, to trust him more, to continue in the work of the gospel, what, whatever might, uh, obstacles we might face, whatever the, the lessons not to live in fear, whatever it might be. But what is he doing on a global scale? I don't know. I could suggest perhaps he's doing this. Perhaps he's purging his church. Perhaps he's stirring us up to new obedience. Perhaps he's, he's showing people their mortality. I, I'm not sure exactly. Or maybe all of these things. But here Paul gives us a good example of, of humility when approaching, interpreting what God is doing in the world. And then he says something in verse 16. And we finally figure out this relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. He says, have him back permanently, no longer as a bondservant. This is a word, I think it should be translated more strongly here. No longer as a slave but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. And, and, and if we didn't know anything about this letter, we finally figure out the relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon was the master, Onesimus was the slave, and he wasn't a good slave. He wasn't a good slave. And by the way, the Phrygian slaves of that era, era and area were, were notorious for being terrible slaves. And he, he admits that. He says, he was a useless slave to you in the past, but now he's become useful to me and to you. And then he says, not only useful, but he's a beloved brother, not only to me, but also to you, especially to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What's in the flesh and in the Lord? Well, slaves were part of the household. He was considered part of the, the household of Philemon. So in the flesh, he was already part of the household, and now he's part of the church. And guess where the church meets? Church meets in Philemon's home. Now he's part of Philemon's church. So he's useful to me. He's useful to you. He's a brother to me. He's a brother to you. And then, finally, finally, he gets to the point. He gets to the, the ask in verse 17. So, and he still winds it up kind of <laughs> with some, some preamble here. So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. That's the request. Receive him as you would receive me. If I'm your partner, I'm your brother, I'm your partner, I'm your fellow worker, receive 
him as your brother and as your partner, as your fellow worker. Now, with his partial knowledge of some sort of a breach, and once again, we don't know what that breach was, but this doesn't stop people from speculating. But some partial knowledge of some breach between Onesimus and Philemon, some sort of debt, some sort of obligation, some sort of harm that Onesimus caused to Philemon, Paul recognizes if there's going to be a a reconciliation between these two, if there is an outstanding debt of money, that needs to be dealt with. There needs to be restitution there, and Paul mentions that. He says, if he has wronged you at all, so he knew about something, he knew of at least one side of it, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, Paul says, verse 18, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account. And then, then it looks like he takes the stylus. Remember his manacled hands? It looks like he takes the stylus at this point and he writes it out an IOU. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I will repay it. So Paul takes on this debt and he doesn't even know how big the debt is because he says, if there's anything there, whatever the debt might be, I will repay it. Now, this is interesting. A prisoner is saying to a high-status individual, I will pay you whatever debt he, my son, my brother, my co-worker, owes to you. And then he, not so subtly, you know when we say, well, not to mention, what are we doing? We're mentioning, yes. And that's what Paul does here. And this is interesting because we find out something of the relationship between Paul and Philemon. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self, which suggests very strongly that, that Philemon came to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry. We don't know how that happened. Paul was in Ephesus. Maybe as a businessman, he visited Ephesus and met Paul. We don't know. But it looks like he owes his, himself eternally to Paul. And Paul just kind of doesn't mention that at this point. And then he kind of lightens up and he says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is the second time he's talked about refreshment. He said, I have much joy and comfort because I heard that you refreshed the hearts of the believers. And now I want some of that refreshment for my heart as well. You refreshed them and that comfort and gave me joy. Now refresh me. And then we have the closing and he leaves it like that. He leaves it with, receive him as you received me. And then he just adds a couple more details. 22, he says, I hope to visit soon. Verse 22, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously granted, given to you. So he hopes to visit Colossae, a place he'd never visited up until that point. Well, there we have the friendship. We have the confidence We have the favor that's asked. What about the response? What happened? What did Philemon do? Well, Paul was confident. Verse 21. Paul was confident that he would do what he asked him. And more. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do 
even more than I say. Now, there appears to be some intentional ambiguity in Paul's request, leaving, leaving freedom for Philemon to respond voluntarily. He asked only that Philemon do his basic Christian duty, which is that one Christian welcome another Christian as a brother and as a companion. That's all he explicitly asked. But then he suggested, well, I know that you'll do not only that, but you'll do much more than that besides. He did not ask explicitly for Onesimus's freedom from slavery, nor did he explicitly ask Philemon to send him back to Paul to minister to him, although that's, we already know that that's what he would have liked to happen. In other words, he just asked that you do, Philemon, you do your Christian duty. And whatever beyond that you do, I won't be surprised because I know your proven character. Now, what did Philemon do? We don't know exactly, but the fact that this personal letter survived, the fact that it survived indicates that he responded very positively to Paul's request. And why do I say that? If somebody sent you a letter asking you to do something and you didn't want to do it, what would you do with the letter? Publish it? Show it to everybody? So that 2,000 years later, people are still reading it? No. You would put it in the shredder. You would burn it. You would tear it up. You would throw it away. So this is, this is very, very suggestive that he responded positively to what Paul said. So we can be confident, even as Paul was, that Philemon received Onesimus as a brother and as a partner in the gospel. What did he do beyond that? We don't know. He may have freed him from slavery and kept him in his household as a paid worker. He may have kept him as a slave and sent him back to minister to Paul in prison and, since he was still his responsibility, continue to pay all of the expenses that Onesimus would have. So giving him the freedom to minister and providing the support that he needed. We don't know. But whatever Philemon did, we might, after reading this letter, ask ourselves a question. Why exactly is this here? There's no other letter of Paul like this. The only letter that's kind of similar is 3 John, but even that's more of a, an ecclesiastical letter about problems in the church. This is, this is the most personal letter that we have from one of one man to another man. And we might ask ourselves, why is this? Why was it preserved? Why is it in the Bible? Why did God see fit to have this personal letter in his word? Now, once again, I already cautioned about saying why God does things, right? So we ought to be cautious about declaring why and tentative. Even so, we can say a few things about the effect of this letter and the usefulness of this letter to us. And that's this. It shows how God, how Jesus, how faith in Christ can transform a useless person into a useful person. It also shows how faith in Christ can transform an unequal and broken relationship into brotherhood and partnership. And in addition to that, it gives us a beautiful 
illustration of the work of Christ. The work of Christ is never described clearly in this letter, but there is a very, very powerful illustration of what Jesus did for his people. What did Paul do for this this slave who had become his brother? He said, if he has any debts, if he owes you anything, put them down to my account. I will repay all. I don't know of many more beautiful illustrations of what Jesus did for his people. Jesus, knowing, knowing the hugeness of our debts that we all owe to God because of our sin, did not go in saying what, whatever they might be. He knew what those would be, the enormity of them. And what did he say? He said, Father, put them in my account. I will pay. Paul said, he who knew no sin, who was perfect, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What does he do? He takes our place. He pays our debt. And it's paid in full. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this little letter. The persuasiveness is beautiful, sometimes humorous. It's very compelling. It's illuminating about relationships in the early church. And it teaches us about the power of the gospel. Lord, how many of us have decided that because of our sins, our failings, that we're pretty useless. And you take useless things and people and you make them into your children and your servants useful. And we think of the relationships that are broken and we see that in the gospel they can be restored. And we also see this beautiful picture of someone taking on the debt of another so that that person could go free. And we thank you for Jesus who took our debt, who paid for our sin so that it's paid in full and so that we might go free, so that we might be your beloved children. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.